Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Did you know that striving for self-generated perfection is as futile as attempting to save ourselves because it perpetuates internal turmoil and it frustrates our closest friends? Though God does not want us to live sloppy, haphazard lives, He does want us to know that perfection comes through our weakness, our inability to be perfect, not our strengths. The appeal of God's Word is clear. If we're going to boast, make it in our weaknesses accompanied by His miraculous strength that operates in us. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas at Life Over Coffee. Conversations for Transformation. You can find me in my coffee shop all day long, lifeovercoffee.com. For those of you who support our ministry, thank you so much. We have private forums. If you have questions, uh, you're welcome to go over there and dialogue with our team. That is our little perk for you. Thanking you for your support. And for the rest of you who donate our ministry to our ministry, thank you so much. We appreciate your help because it is only because of you, your financial underwriting, that we're able to do what we are doing. I want to talk about this idea of perfectionism because it is rampant. It's in all of our lives. The temptations are subtle. For some people, the temptations are quite strong. And so I think it would be good for us to spend some time thinking about how perfection, there is a way of being perfect, but it's not through our strengths. It is through our weakness. And so I've titled this, Eight Reasons Perfection Does Not Glorify God. And so I want to lay out these eight reasons. And of course, I want to do that using my my friend Biff because he's always worth a case study. By the way, this is a case study. And so as I present the case to you, I will ask you at the end, five or six questions, and I trust that it will get the ball rolling as you conversate with others. This would be an excellent exercise for you personally, our mastermind students, of course, it would be great. And then anywhere two or three other people are gathered, if you want to work through a case study, this one on perfectionism, I highly recommend this piece. Again, it's called Eight Reasons Perfection Does Not Glorify God. All right, let's get Biff up here. As you might imagine, Biff is a perfectionist. At least that is the persona that he presents. And it is absolutely maddening to Mabel, his wife. Biff says absolute excellence in all things is how you glorify God. And he is quite particular about how to do things and explicitly explains why his way is better and why his way is more pleasing to the Lord. Mabel tried to help him to see how striving for perfection is detrimental to his relationship with God and also detrimental with his, to his relationship with her. But Biff is not your average Christian. He is relentless in his pursuit of excellence. There is something deep inside of him that drives him to perfection. And that's the thing that I want to tease out in this case study. And then as you work through the questions at the end, I hope that you will be able to add a little more color to this to help our friend Biff. 
Now, if you were to counsel Mabel to come alongside Biff as a gentle restorer, not an aggravated restorer, but someone who has affection for him, she's for him, she wants to help him, and so you're going to come alongside Mabel, what are a few things that you would like for her to know? How would you guide her? May I suggest at least two things for you to consider? One of those would be Biff's presupposition, and the other would be Biff's worldview. A presupposition is what he thinks before he thinks. It is his pre-thoughts that give meaning to his thoughts. His presupposition forms the window through which all his thoughts find an interpretation. Let me illustrate. I mean, if his window is blue, then he interprets life through a blue lens. And so that's his presupposition. Now, his worldview is the substance of those interpretations. And so his presupposition creates the worldview, and his worldview motivates him to strive for perfection. And there are no exceptions to this rule. And so you need to discern a person's presupposition. What is that interpretive filter that they have? Everybody's presupposition is different. And so you need to understand them. You can't counsel them according to who you are and how you think and how you would do it. I mean, maybe how you would do it is right, but first you've got to step into his story, into his narrative, understand him, because he came from a different place. He was shaped differently from you, and so he has a different interpretive filter through how he sees life. Now, there have been three primary shaping influences in Biff's life that have created his presuppositional interpretive filter. Now, the first one is the same with all of us, and, well, his name is Adam. After Adam became imperfect through the fall, this would be Genesis 3, 6 and and following, you know what he did? He tried to compensate by being perfect. He became imperfect when he fell, and so then he wanted to be perfect without trusting God. Well, guess what? Biff inherited Adam's presupposition for all have sinned. And then the second negative shaping influence in Biff's life was Biff's dad. Biff was managed and manipulated by a heavy-handed, non-encouraging, authoritarian father. Talking to Biff years later, he just tears up as he shares how impossible it was to please his dad. I can't even recall how many men and women later in their adult life they would reflect on their, many times it's their dad, most of the time it's their dad, and they would just weep or they would get emotional as they talked about how impossible it was to please their fathers. This is a thing in so many lives. As an adult, God saved Biff, and he landed in a legalistic religious church culture where following the rules were paramount. 
Now, the question is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did Biff, as a legalist, find this church, or did this church find him? Neither way, either way, they, they came together, and of course, a legalistic church is the, and I'm putting this in air quotes for those that are listening to the podcast, but a legalistic church is the perfect environment for a legalistic person, an individual who is shaped by Adam, for we all have sin, we're all legalists at heart. And then a person who's shaped by an authoritarian dad that you want to please, it just makes sense that you would gravitate to a religious church culture that that puts an emphasis on holiness, righteousness, living by the rules, doing the right thing. And so it was the trifecta for Biv. Adam, early adverse shaping influences primarily with his authoritarian father, And number three was Christian legalism. Born in Adam officially stamps us as legalists. Adam wanted his works to matter, and so do we. But Christianity is the only religion in the world where our works cannot save us. And unfortunately, that little truth does not keep some individuals from smuggling their performances onto their resumes to impress other people. I mean, you can take the boy out of Adam and put him in Christ, but you can't take Adam out of the boy, not until the boy gets a glorified body. And when you put the boy whose daddy manipulated him to strive for acceptance as a child in a larger group of like-minded legalists, guess what? You're going to have a legalistic religious culture. The legalism that drives perfectionism is an illusionary lifestyle. It only works if we can hide our real problems, meaning if we can hide our true selves by avoiding public scrutiny. I mean, think fig leaves here. As Adam was hiding his shame, that internal awkwardness, not comfortable in his own skin as he was hiding that person behind the fig leaves. If we can keep our issues hidden, we can present ourselves well in a performance-based religious culture that pursues righteousness and harshly judges our mistakes. The temptation to self-deception and and perpetuating deception in these cultures is strong. Parading as a perfectionist is high-end religious game-playing that needs the disinfecting light of the gospel. The game is this, is that if your trouble does not transcend your ability to present yourself well, you can live in a legalistic culture. Unfortunately, what happens too often is that relational conflict and personal problems steadily increase until we can't keep the pretense going any longer. We can't keep everything, we can't keep our problems tamped down enough. Eventually, it starts getting out on you, and Biff is nearing the breaking point where he can't keep it all pressed down. He needs a courageous, competent, compassionate friend who can help him see what he is not able to see. The desire to please others is classic fear of man. Perfectionism always is trying to please someone. They are trying to please God or they are trying to please others 
or maybe they're trying to please themselves. This last point, attempting to please yourself, it speaks to the man who has a a man-centered view of what excellence should be and is striving to hit this self-imposed standard so that he can self-approve or self-congratulate himself, trying to please himself, what's satisfying to him. I mean, if I can't please God or maybe I can't please others, I can please me. I can approve myself. And while the first two scenarios of pleasing God and pleasing others require other people, to be his audience, this last deception differs because he lives in a self-contained universe where the performer, Biff, and the audience, Biff, they are the same. And so regardless of who he is seeking approval from, something needs rooted, something needs rooted out of his heart. Something deep in his heart is motivating him to strive for aspirations that only the Lord can provide. Perfectionism is a twisted and dangerous theology. And though the word perfectionism is not the best way to describe what is going on with Biff, that word can serve as a starting point and maybe as a portal to a more biblical typology. You see, perfectionism is a cultural concept that can at least start the conversation, but it's always better to push for theological precision without being the word police, because the closer you get to the Bible's view, the Bible's way of talking about our problems, the better you can identify what is going on in the perfectionist heart and bring biblically precise care to the person. A better definition of what's going on will permit you to do at least four things. One, you will know what to look for in the person that you want to help. I mean, if you can label it correctly, meaning biblically, then that gives you a, a better lens to see what you need to see. That's one. Number two, you can sort out what applies and does not apply to him because you're looking at it biblically. Number three, you can discern what you have through an assessment of an assessment and an elimination process. That's true. That's untrue. We can eliminate that. We need to pin that on the wall for a second and think about it. But again, you're thinking biblically. And then number four, you can bring biblical solutions based on a biblically filtered person. That's why it's important to have the right terminology. And so with these things in mind, I want to give you eight things that I would look for if I were counseling Biff. Now, I'm not saying that all of them are valid for him. But I would want to run him through a biblical filter to have a clearer picture of the person that I'm trying to help. And so this is not necessarily in any order, but here are eight things that I would think about. And this is why I titled this Eight Reasons Perfection Does Not Glorify God. Number one, partial obedience. You can only be perfect in the things which you're good at doing. And this is what you'll find with people who strive for perfection. <laughs> They're not consistent. It is selective perfection. Selective perfection is where God's theology and Biff's theology collide. The Lord says Biff is not perfect and will never be perfect outside of Christ. So to overstrive for perfection is at odds with who God says he is and how he achieves biblical perfection. On his best day, he will fail. 
while giving all his life and projects his best shot. It sounds nice on paper. Biff must be a biblical realist. He cannot hit perfection in every every area of his life. A person motivated toward unbiblical and unrealistic excellence will be dysfunctional in other areas of his life. He will spend most of his time performing in ways that guarantee success because he will always work within his strengths. By the way, that is one of the reasons a perfectionist will procrastinate. They will procrastinate because they do not believe that they will succeed at that task, so they will kick that task down the road, not get that done, but they will spend their time working in areas where they will succeed. And so you'll see perfectionism and procrastination in cahoots with each other. But point number one, eight things or eight reasons perfection does not glorify God partial obedience, not complete. Number two, intellectual dishonesty. You will find inconsistencies in Bill's life, as I've been saying, and it will not be hard to discover them because a few threads will hang out of his garments whenever he tries to be something he is not. There will be areas where he is failing, and you hope he will be honest about those imperfections. To try to sell perfectionism as a way of life is not honest. The commitment is the commitment to his excellent worldview will reveal the level of dishonesty and deception at work. And while you can give him a hall pass for ignorance, you're going to find more than just blindness in his life. There will be deception and deceit that may have twisted his thinking. As Paul said in Romans, claiming to be wise, they have become fools. And so number two is intellectual dishonesty. Number three, unconfessed sins. Do not be surprised to find unadmitted sinfulness. Everybody knows they are finite. A reality that implies limitations or God-imposed boundaries that keep individuals from ascending too high in their estimation of themselves. The perfectionist has lost touch with biblical reality, and if he persists in this kind of thinking, he will have to alter his perceptions about himself, about God, and about his life. He must twists the truth to grind out his pursuit of excellence. This process is futile thinking. A typical way this works is to make excuses for things that he cannot do well. If he strives for perfection, an unattainable goal at best, then he has to explain why he fails in some areas where he cannot meet his perfectionistic standard. Point number three, unconfessed sins. Number four, relational fallout. The perfectionist will be self-justifying, rationalizing, and excuse-making, creating relational tension. (laughs) Ask Mabel. One of the tricks in the bag of the perfectionist is to put others down through critique, condemnation, and regular reminders of where they have missed the mark. Putting others down has a self-elevating effect. If I put you down, I am maintaining a higher standard than you. If I cannot be perfect, I must be deceptive by being a self-righteous critiquer of others, and the fallout of that will be horrible. 
The perfectionist lives in a world where he acts superior while his wife and children and friends look on with saddened faces as they watch the emperor with no clothes. Number four of eight reasons perfection does not glorify God is relational fallout. Number five, missed opportunities. The people who will be hurt the most are his wife and children. All high-demand, excellent-driven spouses or parents will decimate their families. Trying to execute perfection in children has horrifying effects. Children are imperfect on their best days. They are sobering pictures of who we all are before God the Father. Rather than pushing people to perfection, Christ came alongside individuals to let them know they can never be perfect. Rather than making them be what they can never be, He gave them what they needed. He shepherded them to the cross, inviting them to pursue His perfection, not theirs. There are redemptive purposes found in the gospel, and what better place to bring care to others than through their imperfections? The perfectionist does not perceive these redemptive opportunities. Demanding, critiquing, being harsh or unkind is a total misunderstanding of the doctrine of sin and how the gospel connects to our imperfections. Number five, missed opportunities. Number six, fighting God. I mean, ultimately, this is a spiritual battle for Biff. He is in a battle of wills with the Lord. I'm I'm talking about pride here in many manifestations. The one thing God will resist in any human is pride. The Lord did not come for perfect people. He came for the sick, the wounded, the needy, the incomplete, the weak, and the imperfect. The perfectionist attempts to put on perfection outside of God's grace. These were the Pharisees during the time of Christ. They saw perfection as the chief end of man, and they had no problem sporting perfection on their shirt sleeves. Point number six, fighting God. Number seven, competing strengths. There is an argument to be made by the perfectionist that excellence is a great way to glorify God. Yes and amen. There is some truth here. But it is only a partial truth. People should always strive to be better and to do better. The solutions are not to seek perfection because you are a perfectionist or to give up as though sloppiness is the only way to accrue God's favor. Those are two extremes. Neither one of them are correct. There is another way to glorify God. The gospel is our chief witness for how humanity could make a mess of things, yet what Christ did was the most life-altering, world-shaking thing a man has ever done. The person who refuses to understand how God makes his strength perfect in human imperfection will always be weak, even though he has twisted his mind to think that he is strong. Jesus died on a tree. Jesus' friends were looking for something, shall we say, a bit more perfect than a man dying on a tree. They could not, or at least they could not at that time, wrap their minds around how the foolishness and weakness of God could be wiser and stronger than them. Biff can either exalt his or Christ's strength, but he cannot do both. If he chooses to compete with God, there will only be one result. He is going to lose. And so point number seven is 
competing strengths. And then finally, point number eight, gospel disconnect. I'm talking about eight reasons perfection does not glorify God. The final one here, a gospel disconnect. To think humanly derived perfect processes lead to perfect outcomes, it flies in the face of the gospel. From a man-centered worldview, this makes sense because there is some logic there, limited logic there. But God defies logic, which is one way he shows us how the foolishness and weakness of God can thwart our world's wisdom. We must believe that the Lord's strength will work through us. Biff needs to see these things. He needs to be honest. Biff needs to find rest in Christ. He needs contentment. Biff has yet to learn the secret of life. Paul told us that in 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I do recommend that you read those 10 verses in 2 Corinthians 12, the thorn in the flesh passage. Paul just gives us an excellent study on what it means to boast in our weaknesses, to rest in Christ, to find God's strength perfected in our weakness. When Paul was thinking about these things as he was talking to the Philippians, he said this, this Fantastic passage that I'm sure that you know. I'm going to start in verse number 11, though most of us uh, quote verse 13. What Paul says was, is that I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, there's some tutelage here. Paul was a student. God was the teacher. Paul learned the lesson, and this is what I hope that we will learn And he said, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So it did not matter where you drop Paul. Whatever that situation is, he he could be content. Now think about your life for just a moment. As I think about mine, just plop yourself down in any situation. Think about the various contexts and situations in your life, particularly the ones that are less favorable to you, the ones that uh, are more disappointing to you. Plop yourself down in that situation, in that relationship. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he gives us the spectrum way of thinking. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, need. And this is where this is when he says, verse number 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so the all things there in verse 13 is contextualized in verses 11 and 12. In absolutely any situation that Paul is plopped down in, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. It is a profound verse, and as we learn to apply this in our life, we can cease from striving from perfection, presenting ourselves as something that we are not, finding rest in Christ, seeing his strength working through us. And then when we, we can say, as Paul says, when we are truly weak, then we are truly 
strong. Eight reasons perfection does not glorify God. And so I've laid out Biff's story here in a case study format. I've given you eight suggestive thoughts to think of what eight reasons why perfection doesn't glorify God. Now what I would like for you to do, if you're willing, either personally as a, a study for yourself or get a couple people together and have conversations for transformation and work through the CTA that I have here at the end of this article. You can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. And so I have six questions for you. Let me roll through those and we'll wrap up. Number one, how have the three primary shaping influences in Bill's life, Adam, authorities, and I'm specifically talking about his uh, authoritative father and religion, his legalistic religion culture, how have these three primary shaping influences molded him? And so this would be a good conversation uh, to talk about, or maybe you could just jot some things down on paper. Maybe that would be great as well if you're doing it alone. Number two, considering these three influences, how would you counsel Biff regarding each one? And so Biff is sitting before you and just, just walk through the shaping influence of Adam this is what it looks like. This is how I perceive it's operating in your life. And here's the solution here. And then as you give the put off and put on, uh, help him to see what renewing the mind would look like, because that will be the process of putting away his former manner of life and then putting on the new life in Christ. Now, again, take each one of those shaping influences, Adam, authoritative father, and uh, Christian legalistic uh, environment. Number three, what would your counsel be to Mabel to guide Biff through his former manner of life? And I'm particularly thinking about Galatians 6.1, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. There is a high level of maturity that uh, Mabel must possess in order for her to disciple her husband who is caught. And this is what Paul is saying in, in Galatians 6. If your husband is caught, you who are spiritual, then you come alongside and restore. And so how would you guide Mabel? What are some of the insights that you would give her? Not just what is happening in Bill's life and how to counsel him, but there is some heart work that will have to happen in her actually first before she starts talking to Bill. Number four, what about the gospel that has yet to connect with Biff? There is this gospel disconnect in Biff's life. And so how will you share that with him? Connect the gospel specifically, uh, the weakness of God, the foolishness of God to what's going on in Biff's life. Number five, what is Biff afraid of? And fear is a big thing with him. Why is he that way? And what is a practical path forward as you care for him? So now we're dealing specifically with fear. You've, you've dealt with his shaping influences, and you've given him counsel and direction on those. You've helped him with mind renewal. You're working with Mabel to come alongside him. But now I want you to drill down specifically in fear and how it's operative in Bill's heart. And then finally, number six, this is more macro, develop a practical counseling plan to help Biff mature. And what I would encourage you to do is to create six, I mean eight, sequential mile markers that are going down the interstate. Just mile one, mile two, mile three, and eight of those. 
And so that'll be the framework. And let's say you're going to meet with him over eight weeks or maybe two months every other week. And so then give him a, to fill in that framework. So in week one, you want to do this. In week two, that. Week three, that. And, and you have a goal in mind. So you want to set up the mile markers like this is where we are and this is where we want to go. And so that gives you the, the pathway. Uh, you can see the goal. And now you create these incremental steps to get there. And then you fill in the framework of how you want to navigate the things that you want to cover and how you want to counsel him as you map out a counseling process. Now, again, I've titled this Eight Reasons Perfection Does Not Glorify God. You can find this article in a read, watch, listen context in a resource on our website at lifeovercoffee.com. For those of you who are interested in more in-depth training, that is what we do. Uh, we have a mastermind program that you can go through. It's all online. It is self-paced. Uh, it covers theology, sanctification theory, and then, of course, the practicum application. We're a very practical ministry because that's typically the disconnect. People love studying theology, and they love reading books on sanctification, but connecting that data to their real-world lives on Tuesday afternoon sometimes can be a bit of a challenge, and so we're very much uh, on the practical side as well. We want to connect those practical dots. And our mastermind program helps you with that. And so if, you, if this is a good season of your life, you don't have to go anywhere. It's all online. It is self-paced, but it's not for the procrastinator. Uh, and so if this is a, a good season for you, and you would like some well-supervised training, then I would uh, appeal to you to consider the mastermind program. We also have courses as well that are smaller and you're welcome to take those and then we have virtually unlimited resources and so just go to lifeovercoffee.com and check out you can read for the next decade you can watch videos you can listen to podcasts it is all there eight reasons perfection does not glorify god thank you so much and god bless thanks for joining us learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com 